Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there is no offseason, and we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording, or at least starting this recording, on Halloween, October 31st, 2017, and I'm standing right around where first base would be at Dave Nelson Field, home of South Pasadena Little League, in... Well, pretty much in a park at a Royal, a Royal Vista Park, right around where Pasadena, South Pasadena, and Los Angeles all kind of coexist in the same sort of Venn diagram. And it's created right here on this infield dirt. This is the field that several towns share, this Little League field. And this is where my kids played Little League. My kids didn't really get into baseball. It's one of the things as a father I wish one of them I had two boys I was hoping one of them would become a big baseball fan and neither of them have to to be fair they have a little tally in the kitchen keeping track of the Dodgers and the Astros but they don't really care and you know what I'm not the kind of dad who's going to force feed it I'm not the kind of dad say your father loves baseball there you're going to love baseball now my mother and father both love baseball And they introduced me to baseball, and I wound up loving it. I've introduced my boys to a lot of things in their life, and some things they've really taken to. Star Wars, dinosaurs, Batman, a bunch of movies that I really love, they really love. They really loved E.T. They really loved, I took them to Close Encounters. They really loved that. They really loved, as I said, I showed them the Michael Keaton Batman and the Christopher Reeve Superman and... Back to the Future, and a lot of films I really, really dug, and I showed it to them, and they really, they've loved it. Some, not so much. Not every film that I showed from my childhood, uh, or from me growing up, that they liked. Showed them Men in Black, a film I really loved. Nope. No reaction. Well, I've tried to get them into baseball, but it just, it wasn't for them. And I've talked about this, but I refuse to be a father who force-feeds it and would make baseball be something that is almost like eating your vegetables, as it was said in the, in the film Field of Dreams. They'll sit and watch a few innings with me. They'll clap a little bit. But then they'll go back to reading. Right now, they're super into samurai and ninjas. In fact, they're dressing up as ninjas for Halloween. Now, I'm sure my wife wouldn't be thrilled that I'm telling everyone what costume my kids are wearing. But by the time you're hearing this, trick-or-treating will be over. So we can all relax just a little bit. It was uh, drizzling this morning in Los Angeles County. When I was driving to where I needed to be this morning, I left Pasadena. And it was, uh, so it was raining. And I, all I could think was pitching coach Rick Honeycutt of the Los Angeles Dodgers is probably doing a Native American rain dance at this point, trying to do anything to get rain to call off today's game. Because if anything, anything is needed right now, it's another day of rest for the Los Angeles Arms. Because they are, they're cooked. Even with the travel day yesterday, everyone's arms must be blown out. And they know that there's a grand total of one arm in the entire state Houston and Los Angeles staff that is fresh and not rusty and ready to go. And that's the right arm of Justin Verlander, who is capable of throwing a complete game. And that's A.J. Hinch's prerogative right now is to have him go nine innings. 
So have them go as deep as possible. So the Dodgers are like, oh, please have it rain. Please have it be sheets of rain. Please have it be rained out. And yeah, it would have been a pain in the ass to have it rain in Los Angeles on Halloween and have all the kids trick-or-treating in the rain. But for the Dodgers to say, oh, man, give everyone one more day of rest and everything. Nope. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's gray. It's not a hundred damn degrees like it was earlier this week, but or like when they played games one and two of the World Series. But it's a nice overcast day, and the Dodgers are well, they're up against it. You know, you can point to the fact that Justin Verlander uh, has poor career stats in the World Series. He did not pitch well in the World Series in 2006 as a member of the Tigers. He got bombed his one start in 2012 as a member of the Tigers against San Francisco. And he had one bad inning uh, in game two. But do you know what? No one's going to say, well, how how do you think Verlander's going to do? Well, let's see what happened when he was a rookie. Let's see how he did five years ago. That's really not relevant. He was throwing a no-hitter into the, what, the fifth or sixth inning of game two. His, he had, like, he let up, what, a couple of home runs in game two, and he let up that home run to Andrew Benatendi in the final game of the division series against Boston. And other than that, he has been hiccup-free basically since he's been acquired for the Tigers. And he knows he's one win away from putting the one last thing he needs for his Hall of Fame resume, and that is a championship, and delivering it to his brand new city of Houston to deliver the first World Series title to the Astros. And let's face it, have it be the greatest moment in Houston sports history because no one's going to point to this title and say, yeah, you did that when the best player in the league was was." not playing, kind of like the Rockets won their only two titles when Michael Jordan was, well, we all know what was happening. He was suspended for gambling and he had him play White Sox baseball. I'll say it. Sue me. But um, this will be the greatest moment in Houston sports history. He knows that everything, his, his legend can be written today with a complete game victory. He knows that. You know that. And the Dodgers know that. Now, one thing is for certain, there has been no scenarios that have made sense in this postseason. Let's review some of the people who have been shellacked at one point or another. John Lester got shellacked. Chris Sale got shellacked. Max Scherzer, who pitched very well as a starter and came out of the bullpen and got bombed. Clayton Kershaw got bombed the other night. Who else got bombed? Um, there's another bell. Did I mention Lester? I mean, uh, oh, uh, Zach Grinke got hammered. I mean, there are so many pitchers who say, we're going to hand the ball to him and ride that horse in. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So there's one thing this postseason has told us. And that is, every time you think you're handing the ball to someone who's going to be doing a great job and bring it on home. Hell, Luis Severino's first start. Remember, he got lifted in the first inning. 
a lot of bad stuff has happened to supposedly reliable starting pitchers. And so you hand the ball to Justin Verlander with the assumption that he's going to go nine innings and be the one with his arms held up and the Astros jumping up and down all over him, which means it's about even money that he's going to be lifted in the fourth. You Darvish was brought in to be the badass second ace of the Dodgers. He didn't get out of the second in the World Series. We have seen reliable starters get their asses kicked. Kind of regularly this October. And so the idea that this is a guaranteed win for Houston is not looking at recent history. That being said... Man, the Astros are in good shape. They have to just win one game in L.A. And then that's it. And think about this for a second. If the Astros win, first of all, the pressure is off the Astros for like the next 10, 15 years. Absolutely it is. Just, I mean, that's just, uh, for a championship like that, for a team that has had that much strife, All of the agony of what happened in 1980 against the Phillies, against the Mets in 86, the Jim Edmonds walk-off home run, all the extra inning losses left and right that have been building up because there hasn't been a championship. The losing those three really close games to the Chicago White Sox, the last three games of that World Series, the the Correa error that allowed the Royals to come back with that wild rally in game four of the division series in 2015. All of those heartbreaking losses will be wiped, the the slate will be wiped clean. There are so many of those losses in Astros history and they are one win away from being the prologue for the exultation that could be felt if Justin Verlander's arms rise up after the third out in the ninth inning. All of that can be erased. And that when you look upon the heroes, it's funny, the Astros have a ton of retired numbers for a team that never won a World Series game before this year. And think about Altuve. Think about Correa. Think about Bregman, think about Springer, think about Keuchel, where all these players who are part of the Astros have already each been there for a few years and will now have nothing to answer for. Altuve and all of them could stay or leave and they'll be the Houston heroes forever. And will never have something, to, they'll never, ever have to answer for anything in the rest of their career. Altuve, as I said, is using this as his personal reel to build up a Hall of Fame case, which he's already making a very interesting case for. Even though he hasn't been as dominant in this World Series as he was in the Division Series against the Red Sox and the League Championship Series against New York, he still had his share of highlights, including that massive game-tying home run off of uh, Kenta Medea the other night. And an extra inning home run in the wild game, too. So it's just going to be a highlight reel for him, of which all you just turn to him and say, hey, um, just pile up numbers. Just pile up numbers. You'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. 
just pass, you know, you get 200 hits a year, uh, pass 3,000 and start working on your speech. You're in. Correa, the same thing. He's super young, but just put up, just start putting up MVP caliber seasons and uh, don't get hurt and uh, try to spend 10 years in Houston so we put an H on your hat. Beltran. Beltran will get his ring and start thinking about his speech. Verlander is writing his speech. You could have certainly two Hall of Famers, maybe three, maybe as many as four Hall of Famers on this team. That would be an all-time team to remember. Remember the series of, which I actually realize I haven't finished doing, the team that should have won? This is the team that should have won of all the Astros teams ever. Not the ones with Jose Cruz, not the one with Mike Scott, not the ones with Glenn Davis, not the one with you know, uh, Berkman or Craig Baggio or Jeff Bagwell. This is the team that it's all coming together. This is the team that said, yes, we faced a Red Sox team that had a wonderful second half of the season. We faced a Yankee team that was firing on all cylinders. We faced the Dodgers, the best team in baseball, and did so with a bunch of homegrown players and a couple of acquired Hall of Famers. This is the greatest Astros team of all time. And they are one win away from being the team that should have won that did win. And with that in mind, if they happen to win one of these next two games, I can't be too disgusted. I can't be too angry, even though I am unapologetically rooting for L.A. If they win tonight, I have to tip the proverbial cap and say, well, if a team had to win... And it wasn't Cleveland, and it wasn't Washington, two teams I really wanted to see go far. This Astros team can then just sort of ease up on the throttle and say, yeah, we won. And stop and think about this for a second. Let's just say the Astros win later tonight, shall we? Let's, uh, if You all know, by the time I'm posting this, the game will be over. So you already know whether or not the Astros won or not. Um... But let's say, what if they won? Think about some of the teams that won championships this decade. I'm going to take specifically the Giants, the Royals, and the Cubs, and let's say the Astros, okay? The Giants, and you notice I did skip over the Cardinals and the Red Sox. Me, of all people, skipping over the Red Sox. But I'll explain to you why I'm skipping over them in a minute. Think about the Giants teams that won this decade. You've got a bunch of players. Sure, you had some players who were there for one season or two. But you also had Lincecum, Posey, Sandoval, Kane, Bumgardner. You had, you know, and a couple of the teams you had... Uh, you know, Joe Panic and Brandon Crawford and Hunter Pence. You had pretty much the same cast in the bullpen, whether it's, you know, you had Wilson, he was hurt for the second one, but he was in the first one. You had Romo for all of them. You had Athel for all of them. You had Lopez for all of them. You had Santiago Casilla for all of them. You had a 
pretty steady cast of all-time giants who, believe me, I was up in the Bay Area long enough to know that they are some of the most beloved figures in Giants history. And so you look at that team and say, yeah, that team filled with all these players that we can look at and think of as giants are the ones that won. Now think about the Royals team that won. Okay, they're probably going to break up the team pretty soon. But you had the likes of Hosmer, Moustakis, uh, Lorenzo Cain, uh, Alcides Escobar, sent uh, Salvador Perez. You had a bunch of guys on that team that were royals for long enough that you can point to them and say, yeah, yeah, if you're a Royals fan, they were not people who just, you know, swung by for one season and left. Alex Gordon is a royal you could hang a bunch of emotion on. Same with Moustakas and Hosmer and all the people whom I just mentioned. And then you look at the Cubs team, with the one that won for them. And granted, they're a little bit younger and they haven't put in as many years. But you know Bryant's going to be there for a while. You know Rizzo's going to be there for a while. You know Baez is going to be there for a while. You know that a bunch of those players are going to be there for many years to come. So if you're a Cubs fan, it's not just a bunch of people patched together and all lined up, you know, like a Venn diagram. I know it's the second Venn diagram reference I've made in this podcast, but it all lined up like the planets aligning. That's a better analogy. And then if you look at this Astros team, and yeah, just as I listed all those players before, they're all teams that their fan base not only saw win, but could attach a certain amount of emotion behind those players. Compare that to the Red Sox team that won in 2013. You know I'm a Red Sox fan. You know I love that team. We didn't get to know Johnny Gomes that well. He was only there for about a year and a half. Victorino was only there for a little bit. Stephen Drew, uh, David Ross, Mike Napoli. Even John Lackey was only there for a few years. Even Koji was only there for a few years. There were a bunch of people who showed up that year and were gone pretty quickly. I love that team. And they have a reunion in 2023, the same year my kids will graduate from high school. Then I will be there. I'll clap and say, I love that team. But the team they're building now with Betts and Benatendi and everyone is more of a team built from the ground up. And you're seeing the Yankees are doing the same. These are the kind of teams that when they win the World Series, as a helicopter flies right overhead, are kind of fun to see them win because the fans have been able to identify and know who they are and attach a certain amount of emotional baggage to them. And this Astros team is filled with players that if you're a Houston fan, these are your guys. These are your guys. And some of them you've been cheering for since the team sucked. And now here they are, one Justin Verlander win away from winning the World Series. So, all right, well, let me tell you something. I've been effusive about the Astros, but I am rooting for L.A. Do you know why? I don't want this season to be over. You know, it's not been the most fun year for your pal Sully, just personally. I've alluded to it a little bit here and there, 
but it's been a rough year in some ways. Some things health-wise, some things personally, some things job-wise. And baseball served its best purpose. And unfortunately, I've not been able to serve you all the purpose I had in the past to be here every single day. But you know what? Baseball's been there for me this whole year. In some of my absolute worst days of the last 365, and actually what I think about it, stretching back a little more, in some of the days where I've really been a big-time kick to the balls, there's been a ball game, and the ball game has given me a moment to just relax and have fun and take my mind off of things, even just for a little bit. And so I'm not ready to say goodbye to this year. This year has been good to me. Baseball has been much better to me than 2017 has. And with that in mind, I want it to go at least one more day. I don't want the season to end while I'm taking my son's trick-or-treating. I'd like to watch baseball tomorrow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pause the podcast right here. And when I come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Game 6 of the 2017 World Series. Something that you already know what happened. And hopefully, just for my own sanity, it resulted in an L.A. Dodger victory. So, let me take the kids trick-or-treating, and we'll talk soon. Okay, so right now we are walking up and down our street. We're trick-or-treating, and the Astros have a one nothing lead in the top of the fourth inning. A home run by George Springer, who right now looks like he is the... Uh, right now it looks like he's the World Series MVP. So right now the, the Astros are six innings away from winning the World Series. We'll see what happens next. My kids are dressed up as ninjas, and they're trick-or-treating as we're walking up and down our cul-de-sac with members of our neighborhood. All right, we hit another house, and we were told that they gave out two pieces of candy at this house. All right, we're moving up the street here and up to where our cul-de-sac ends and up around the bend where there's a little bit of a hill. And not as many people are on this hill trick-or-treating, so we should get some pretty decent loot. Oh, yeah, it's the end of four innings, and the Dodgers are losing one nothing, which means the Astros are now five innings away from winning the World Series. The Dodgers got out of a second and third, nobody out, and bases loaded jam in the fifth inning. How did they do it? I have no idea. I'm on a cul-de-sac watching my children run from house to house, grab candy. All right, we're done trick-or-treating, and my son Aiden turned to me and said, okay, that's enough about Halloween. It's Thanksgiving time. Bring on the turkeys. Right now, the Dodgers have taken a 2-1 to lead in the 7th, and they're reviewing the slide into Utley. Wouldn't it be ironic if there was... Uh, an interference call that went Utley's way on the same field that he broke Ruben Tejada's leg. Anyway, the reviews show that Evan Gaddis was safe. So it's 2-1, to one, top of the seventh. Dodgers somehow scratched two runs off of Verlander. I'm sitting next to my mother-in-law. Say hi to the folks at Sully Baseball, mother-in-law. Hello, folks. There you go. Meanwhile, my sons, who are don't really care or watching a uh, video involving what's the uh, video guys watching 
could you just give me something? I'm recording a podcast, and they, the minutiae—they're watching something that isn't the World Series. They're watching. De- they're, they're they're eating. They're, they're going over their candy and watching Deadliest Warrior. All right, uh, Kenta Maeda is still up. They're pitching to Springer, who has homered. Right now, Springer is the leader in the clubhouse to be the World Series MVP. At this point, the Astros have one run. It's because of his homer. He's had an outstanding World Series. And if he hits a homer here, then the Astros will take a 3-2 lead. You listen to this, know exactly what happened. He's going to hit a home run. He could hit. I, you know, I have a sense he's going to hit a home run. I think everyone has a sense because it seems like Springer has been coming up so big for Houston. It just, uh, I, you know, you listening to me should be privileged that you're listening to how I am reacting to the classic Springer home run of this game. You know what happened. Grounder off the second, off the shortstop's glove. All right. It wasn't a homer, but it's still an Astros rally. And And we'll pick this up later. Well, the game is over. I'm standing in my backyard. My mother-in-law is reading a book. My kids are asleep. And my wife is going to bed soon. And I'm back here standing in my backyard talking to you, my podcasting friends, walking out to my fence, looking over. You can hear some of the leaves crunching. It's fall. It's going to be November tomorrow. And we have baseball. You know, I don't want to hear anyone talk about momentum in baseball ever again. There's a dog next door to me, and pretty soon you're going to hear the coyotes howling as they are here in the hills of Pasadena. But there's no such thing as momentum. There's no such thing as the game making sense. Game four was a guy throwing a no-hitter versus a guy dominating everyone and a late bullpen collapse. Game five was an all-you-can-eat hitter's buffet of which there just was no stopping the offense. So naturally, the next game turns into a pitcher's duel, 3-1. to one. And everyone, and I mean everyone, including Sandy Koufax and J.R. Richard, are available to pitch tomorrow. It's Game 7 of the World Series. Tomorrow is the last day of baseball. And either the Houston Astros or the Los Angeles Dodgers are going to win it. And do you know what? This has been a great World Series. All I can ask for now is a great finale. This World Series deserves a Game 7. And it got one. And the dogs in my neighborhood are barking. And it might be time for me to call it a podcast. Yep. You're hearing your pal Sully bark. So go to sullybaseball.com. Like me on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher. I'm on Instagram as Sully Baseball Podcast. You can be old school. Send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The dogs are barking. And the music is by Ted Thacker. Woof! And Patrick Kaliski. Woof, 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 woof. This has been the Halloween production of the Sully Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan, we got one more day of baseball, and you can call me Sully.